Welcome to Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents. Making money moves with the finest of gents. Come and pull up a seat, cause we're proud to present. How to make some good decisions when you're on the fence. Rob and Steve gonna tell you how to do it the best. Hello, welcome to another episode of Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents. I am one of the gents. I am Robert Wilson, and he is the other gent, although slightly less gentlemanly, Stephen Ellis. That's not very nice, Rob. I know you better than most people. That, do. I, I think it's fairly true. That's true. Uh, just about you knowing me better, not the less gentlemanly part. But thank you for that kind uh, introduction, Rob. I really appreciate that. So today our, our topic was actually brought to us by a listener, which is exciting. Yeah, it's the first time we've had some feedback. We've been asking for all of the other episodes, if you have topics, and we had one come in. Yeah, and I think it's actually a really interesting one. I think it'll appeal to a lot of other people. But before we get into this topic, as we mentioned, please keep sending us ideas. We're looking for ideas that you want to hear about, stuff that we can expand upon and hopefully give you some great advice on how to handle various topics. So yeah, send us ideas. We're, we're open for discussion. Generally speaking, if it's interesting to you, it'll likely appeal to other people as well. So again, don't hesitate, send us ideas. So with all that anticipation, what was the topic that, that came to us? Really good one, one that we get all the time, uh, not just uh, as a topic for the podcast, but also just in general conversation with clients, with friends, neighbors, how not to get burned with investments. Yeah, things we've seen through um, you know, our own friends, uh, acquaintances, often clients will come to us with positions in portfolios that uh, you know we look at and say, how did this happen? So we hear the stories and today is a good opportunity to share some of those those stories and perhaps ways to avoid them. Yeah, it's a great topic, Steve. I mean, there's so much fraud in this world and it's only, go, only going up, it's not going down. Yeah, lots of calls from quote unquote CRA. Uh, I think I get that one two or three times a week. Yeah, or the, the, the mounted police, that type of stuff. Yeah, um, it is important to keep in mind that, you know, bad investments aren't necessarily always fraught. That's an important distinction. It's also important to distinguish the fact that, you know, an investment that goes down doesn't necessarily make it a bad investment either. But there are certain red flags that we want to bring to your attention to be aware of to, for you to determine if it is fraud or if it's not, or if it's a good investment or not, or if it has good potential or if it doesn't. So we, uh, the topic of today's podcast is really just to delve into a discussion of these red flags, just so you're a bit more alert and aware when making your decision, when uh, going through all the details to determine if it makes sense for you or not. That's right. And we can't necessarily discuss all of them today, uh, but we'll certainly try and touch on some uh, that we've come across and go into some detail. Okay, so let's get right into it. Let's let's call this red flag number one. Okay, and I think this is really the big one. It sounds too good to be true. You know, we we hear that a lot. You know, when when people come to us and they say, "Oh, I was burned on this investment," nine times out of ten, they'll say, "You know, I knew it sounded too good to be true. My gut told me it was too good to be true." And that's another thing too. People often talk about a gut reaction to something. So it sounds too good to be true. Now, let's break that down. That can really mean a lot of things. Yeah, it's a great point, Steve, a great starting point. Businesses that sound too good to be true, it just might be. Uh, businesses that promise hefty returns or large returns, especially in a short time frame, usually, you know, that time frame obviously can vary, but say less than two or three years, uh, usually you're, you're, they're naive, naive or they're just flat out lying. I mean, but either way, 
you may lose money in that scenario. So just make sure that you take a detailed look at their business, their marketing, their growth strategies, their business plan, and really think critically about whether or not their numbers are realistic or if the plan is too lofty. Yeah, in other words, just do a bit of research. Do some digging. Do some right? digging. Do some homework. Yeah, I mean, uh, lofty expectations, obviously, that's great. We're all looking for that. But, you know, get, get beneath the surface. I was going to say too, Rob, one of the other things is that is oftentimes promises of a guaranteed return. You know, I remember going back several years now, every time I would drive into work on the radio was uh, an ad for a real estate development investment that guaranteed an 8% return. And I remember I would always just sort of shake my head at that because again, that's very misleading. Yeah, there is a guaranteed investment, and that's a GIC or a guaranteed investment certificate. So you need to look at the current rate. So if you're getting a GIC, say for one year at 2% or even five years at say 3 or 4%, which would be great even today with, with low rates where we're at. But if this guaranteed investment is yielding 8 or 9, that's not without risk. There's yeah. no guarantee in an 8 or 9% return if you're only getting 2% in your government guaranteed risk-free rate of return type of investment. Yeah, and just so everyone knows, when Rob is saying guarantee there, he's doing air quotes in front of me as I'm looking at it. Um, so, the, you know, again, the word guarantee, you mentioned GICs, you know, it's about who's guaranteeing it. And I think that's what you really have to keep in mind is how is it guaranteed? Who is guaranteeing it? Is it guaranteed by the government, insurance, uh, or is it just the company that's issuing that it, that's guaranteeing it? And what does that actually mean? Yeah, and on top of that, how do you get your money out? When can you get your money out? Those are other things too that go along with the guarantee. Yeah, I think again, um, you know, maybe we can call uh, guarantee and liquidity sort of put them together and call them red flag number two and maybe two A. Um, you know, illiquidity is is a big issue in investments as well, and a lot of the investments we see uh, that turn out to be quote unquote bad investments. Uh, I was going to do air quotes there too, but um, I, I'm aware that people can't see me. So when it comes to liquidity, looking at the fact that your money's tied up and not having access to that capital uh, can be a little bit of a red flag as well. Yeah, so Steve, just to expand on the term liquidity, obviously we understand it where we look at the screens every day, just for those people who may not. It's just basically how quickly you can get your money out when you're buying or selling a stock we look at the market, we see the price to sell it, we sell it that stock on the market or investment on the market, and within two days you have your cash. So it's really simple, you know what the price is, you know when you're gonna get your money. Yeah, and, and just to expand on my point earlier as well in terms of kind of lumping guarantee and liquidity or illiquidity together, often they do come hand in hand, right? It'll be five years at X guaranteed rate of return over that period of time. Right, and the two kind of go hand in hand. So that is something to sort of be aware of: is tying that guaranteed, so to speak, return to the lack of liquidity. The other thing we see with liquidity is that you know we sort of call moving the goalposts a little bit, and we've seen a lot of investments that will initially say that you can get your money back out in three years or five years, and it goes through that period of time. And then the goalposts get moved back, so to speak, where now it's seven years, right? And now it's 10 years, and now it's mm, 
maybe maybe we're not going to get your initial capital back to you. So a real red flag is some of these investments that, that are moving the goalposts from a liquidity standpoint. Just something to be aware of, again, if you're doing some due diligence and looking at previous investments that may have been issued, if that's been sort of their history, it's just something to be concerned about. Yeah, and those of you who can't see Steve, which is only me, he was moving his hands back and forth. So the goalposts <laughs> were moving in that example, even though you couldn't see it. I was moving my hands, aka the goalposts. So Steve, one one recent example about the moving the goalposts that I thought would be helpful to share is with private stocks, which are stocks that have a great business plan, but they're just not traded on the market yet. So they're up and running. Uh, you, you can't go and buy them, sell them on the market, but they do have a plan or a hope to get listed on the exchange to provide that uh, marketing, raise capital through the markets, provide liquidity. Maybe they have a plan to go into the market and become publicly traded in one year, but then something happens. And now it's two years. Now it's three years. So you just don't know. And that could be a red flag if you invest in that one particular company. The goal is to have your money tied up for that period of time. But then, as you mentioned, those goalposts move. Now it's a different scenario than what you initially bought into. Not saying it's a bad investment, it's just it's changed from when you first bought it. Okay, let's let's move on to, we'll call it red flag number three. And, and these aren't necessarily in order, right? It's not in order of importance by any means. It's just in terms of how we're bringing them to the, the table the, today. The order of our discussion. Exactly. Uh, and that is the we'll say the advisor, that may be a stretch in, in some of the cases that we've seen calling, you know, the individual advisor, um, probably more appropriate to call them the salesperson. Right. You know, a lot of the situations we come across, it's more of a sales uh, situation than it is an advisor situation. Would you agree? Yeah, hundred percent. You really need to be aware of really aggressive or really pushy salespeople. Typically these people are just in it for themselves. They want to make the quick sale or they're not in it for your benefit, they're yeah. in it for their benefit. They don't know you. They, you know, they have a mandate. They're trying to do their job, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's for the best interest of your own portfolio. That's right. Yeah, I think looking at and asking how that individual is compensated is important. I know with a lot of the investments that we're sort of referring to, the salesperson is paid quite handsomely, so to speak, up front. Uh, and what that does is essentially creates no continuing incentive for that person. And and I think that's important. Is it the start of a relationship or is it sort of a, a one and done type situation where there's, like I say, no incentive for them going forward uh, for you to do well or for the investment to succeed? Yeah, or accountability. What happens down the road if something goes bad or the rules of the game change? Can you call up that same person and find out why? Ask those questions. Do more homework. Do more diligence. Is that person still going to be there once they've got that initial sale out of you? Yeah. And, and you know, I'll come back to a point earlier when, when people talk about their gut. They'll say, I didn't really like the, the individual that was selling me on it, but they really seemed to know what they were talking about. You know, I hear that a lot. Well, they really knew a lot about it. They, you know, they, they knew the product well. They explained it well. And I think it comes down to... You know, what are you looking for? Are you looking for the smartest person in the room or are you looking for someone who really truly has an interest in uh, your interests? Yeah. Are your interests aligned? Yeah, and they might be able to tell you a good story. Yeah. Like you definitely need to go through that type of research as well. So not just on the product, but also on the people uh, that are recommending it to you, whether it's a advisor or a salesperson. So again, trust your gut, uh, get to know the person, make sure that they truly have an interest in in your life, your well-being, and you know, again, I think if you do that and you feel comfortable with that, you'll hopefully avoid most of uh, of those mistakes. 
Yeah, and Steve, even if you trust the source, you still need to do your own homework. And this is an example we hear all the time is my neighbor or my coworker said I should look into this stock or this investment. It might be right for them, but doesn't mean it's right for you. Or they'll tell you about the time that they invested in this company and made this return, uh, but they're not going to tell you about the time that they invested in a different company and lost that same amount of money. They're only going to tell you about their wins and not their losses. So just because someone that you do trust says, look into this, that also doesn't mean it's right for you either. It's a trusted source, but it may not be right for you. So Rob, I actually have a a great personal story uh, as it pertains to that. So I was in an elevator one time and uh, I was in there with a uh, delivery driver and I won't say what company they worked for. Um, But this particular individual, not knowing what I do for a living, uh, not having met me previously, uh, felt compelled to tell me about a, a fantastic investment opportunity and that I should you know, I should invest, spend the entire elevator ride pitching me on it. And I said, well, that's great. I really appreciate that advice. Now, if, if I give you my telephone number, can you kindly tell me uh, if I buy it, can you kindly let me know when it's time to sell it? And he sort of stopped in his tracks and looked at me like I was crazy. But the point I was making was, well, great, you know, and it may be a great investment, but it's only really half of the process. Right. And so I think that's that gets lost on it is we get wrapped up in this this purchase and without really kind of thinking the whole process through. So you can get a stock tip, you know, or a tip on an investment or your neighbor's doing something and they've made lots of money doing this or that or the other. But the important part of that process can often be when to sell it. That's when you make money. So it just illustrates, I think, some of that uh, naivety out there in terms of you know, what the whole process looks like uh, and who we should be really taking advice from. And and again, it comes back to looking for advice from qualified people who work you through the whole process, aren't telling you to buy a stock and just sending you on your way. And again, for those who are new to dollars and cents with a couple of gents, go back to episode one, behavioral finance, do's and don'ts of investing, exactly what you're talking about, when to sell, taking that emotion out of it and knowing the full story, not just when to buy. Yeah. So good segue there, Rob. What are we on now? Number four. So number we'll call, four. We'll call this yeah. number four. Um, it, and it can it can take on a lot of different names: the herd mentality, fear of missing out. I, I wrote down everyone else is doing it, right? Yeah, FOMO, fear of missing FOMO. out. Yeah. yeah, everyone else is doing it. Rob, I don't know about you, but I remember my parents when I was a kid saying, "Just because the other kids are doing it doesn't mean you need to do it too." The one I always got was. If they're going to jump off a bridge, are you going to also? Yeah, exactly. So we just need to go back to our childhood and remember the lessons our parents taught us. Really, that's what it comes down to. And, and, you know, it's funny to say, but maybe that's where we find a lot of the ways to avoid these things is really to kind of go back to the to, to our roots and, and, you know, life lessons and, like I say, our gut feeling on things. Yeah, and there's some similarities within the red flags. You have to assess your own situation to see if it makes sense for you. Just because it makes sense for someone else doesn't mean it's right for you. Yeah. And just because Johnny's smoking cigarettes doesn't mean you need to. So what's an example of something that a lot of people are doing these days? We, we thought about this, and, and I think that there's some examples in sort of the, the publicly traded equity markets. But we were thinking more along the lines of private investments things that sort of fall outside of the the, uh, the the stock market. And one of the things we looked at was actually 
these you know these seminars for house flipping right you hear about paying for all the knowledge that these house flippers that we see on TV are getting into and you know every TV show right now is a DIY something or other and I watch them I'll admit yeah and how much money they're making all the time it's, it looks easy it looks easy yeah and, and again that's too good to be true right it's it's easy big money can be made all you got to do is follow our lead um, and, and part of that appeal is sort of the, the, the mystique, the prestige, being your own boss, those types of things as well, kind of having control of, of your situation as opposed to turning it over to, to people like Rob and I to manage for you. You can really manage your own destiny. Yeah, and you have to take a look at not only your investment portfolio, but how much real estate do you want to own? Uh, you have your own principal residence, likely. Do you want to have another home in that same market? Who knows what happens with the economy? How easily can you get in or out of that investment? What are the costs to get in and out of that investment? Yeah, yeah, and uh, so perhaps a good segue on to, to, we'll call it red flag number five, and that is how much you're expected to invest. So that particular example, and to your point, Rob, about real estate is how much of your total net worth, your your total investable assets should be in real estate, you know, be it personal, be it rental, be it vacation. Uh, that's going to be different for everybody. But I think one of the red flags, and we'll call it red, red flag number five, is looking to get more of your overall investable um, uh, assets than is maybe reasonable. So one of the stories we hear, uh, you know, there was a, a real estate investment in uh, Calgary that didn't work out so well for a lot of people. And when you hear about the kind of money people lost relative to their total net worth or their total investable assets, it was far too large a number. Uh, and I think sort of pushing for that or the advisor or salesperson not doing their own due diligence to advise you against investing more than what would be uh, generally considered reasonable is a huge red flag. Yeah, great point, Stephen. Although you're referencing real estate with that example, really uh, making sure any investment in your overall portfolio has the proper allocation relative to what you want to risk in that one company. It could be the best company in the world, but you still want to have the right allocation relative to your portfolio and your investable assets. So here's a good takeaway. You know, there's a lot of good resources out there. Obviously, the internet is one, right? And that's a good one. Use it. Use the internet. Uh, don't look at one resource. Try and find multiple resources if you can. Do your own research. Look at everything through a microscope and really just trust your gut. You know, I mentioned that early on. We do hear that a lot. My gut told me something was wrong. If your gut's telling you something is wrong, at the very least, spend some time. Don't cave to that pressure. The investment will still be there tomorrow, the next week. You know, one of the points we were going to make, and, and I'm sort of making it in the wrap-up here, but this idea that you got to make a decision right away, you don't. You know, and you shouldn't have to. So be leery of that and find out why. Find out why you have to make it. Is it closing? You know, in our business, that does happen where, where investments do close within a short period of time, and that may be the case. But find that out. Yeah, and you'll, you'll discover that doing your homework and during that process, doing the due diligence. Yeah, maybe you miss, maybe you're not sure, you can't make the decision right away. You miss the closing. But if it really is a great company, 
there'll be other opportunities. I mean, we can never buy at the bottom or sell at the top. So maybe you'll miss a little bit of upside, but I'd rather miss a bit of upside than risk that potential of it blowing up in your face. That's right. So it does sound a little bit like we're lecturing Rob. We should probably wrap it up. I mean, I've already told everyone not to smoke cigarettes. And don't jump off a bridge just because your friends are doing it. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Joking aside, hopefully that was helpful. Again, thank you for sending in the topic uh, this week. This was a great topic, and again, it came from one of our listeners. Yeah, so in order to send us a topic, you can either check out our website, ellisfinancialgroup.ca. You can tweet us at ellisgroupyyc. You can find us on LinkedIn, of course, Robert Wolfson and Stephen Ellis. And before we sign off, Steve, just want to say I'm really looking forward to our next episode. We have Greg Vallier calling in. He's the U.S. policy strategist at AGF Investments. He's going to be updating us on everything that's happening with the U.S. election. So very topical, very timely, lots going on. Uh, he's very dialed in. He's very tuned in. He, he works right in Washington. So really excited to have him call in to our podcast. Thanks again for listening. We really do appreciate it. Once again, I am Stephen Ellis. And I am Robert Wilson. And we are a couple of gents. And we'll talk to you again soon.